Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Can I take a quick survey? Okay, for this to be effective, you all have to close your eyes. And I have to put my glasses back on again or it doesn't work either. All right. And Dina's allowed to have her eyes open and stand up if you would, please, babe. Everybody else, close your eyes for a second. How many of you guys um, fit into one of three categories? I'll just say which one it is. One is uh, I've been vaccinated. Two is I've had COVID, and so I'm, I'm not worried about it. Or three is uh, I think COVID is stupid, and I, and I, I, I don't need any precautions. I need, I need no precautions. That's you. Raise your hand, please, all over this room. I've been vaccinated. I've had it, or I don't, I, I'm not worried about precautions. Okay. Please put your hands back down again. Remember, eyes are closed because, you know, everybody's, oh, that person, this, the anti-masker is like, stop. Um, I, 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 it's important to me that we have protocols in place, or I, I would not feel safe coming to church. Would you raise your hands, please, if that's you? All right, it's important we have protocols in place, otherwise we feel safe. Great. Okay, good. That was all put on social media through live stream, and you're all busted. I know. Uh, it's just important for us. We're trying to make good decisions to serve you. Our job is to serve you. We only do it one day a week, but it is our job to, uh, to serve you. And so as we do so, hey, good morning, live stream. And would you please join me in welcoming our Grand Blank House Campus Church? Come on. So proud of you guys. Two weeks down. This is week number three when they see this tomorrow night. And uh, Pastor Jim is just killing it. How many of you guys like a church that has two Pastor Jims? Feels like a, like a bad poker hand. Pastor Jims are better to open. Amen. So uh, now what? Part two. Here we go. Uh, let's talk for just a second here because I, I, I always want to bring as much clarity as I can. Clarity not from the culture that we live in. Clarity not from, you know, points of view, but biblical clarity. How many of you know one of my main jobs is to bring clarity from Scripture moving it up 2,000, 3,000, sometimes 4,000 years into today and making it make sense. That's a challenge. You guys with me? Somebody say amen. So what is Christianity? Sometimes it's easier to talk about what Christianity is by pointing out a couple things that Christianity isn't. Christianity is not a cause. Everybody say it with me. Christianity is not a cause. Matter of fact, um, the longer I live, the more I realize a lot of causes are, are cyclical and generational. So one generation has a cause, and it's, it goes through a cycle. The next generation can pick up the same sort of cause, generations, cyclical. And, and causes don't often, they're not linear very often. They kind of, they go a little bit higher, and the lows aren't quite as low, and a little bit higher, and the lows aren't quite as low as public opinion shifts. Does this make sense? Still tracking with me? So it's not a cause. Christianity is supposed to be a linear journey from here to there, from death to to life, out of the kingdom, into the kingdom. It's not supposed to be this, you know, I, I was closer to God, but then, you know, this, well, then I got closer to God, but then, you know, there's no ebb and flow to this thing. So causes um, have the tendency to be passionate, not because of the love of God, but because of the hatred of a devil. So in other words, we don't, we don't need God to have a movement. We don't need God to have a cause. We need a devil to have a cause and a movement. Does that make sense? We, we don't need God to fight the Nazis. We need Nazis to fight the Nazis. Are you still here? Okay. So, and what happens is when Christianity is reduced to a cause, often what we end up doing is people that saved by the same blood of Jesus point to each other and say, you're the devil. Now, I know this doesn't happen now, but it happened years ago in the Bible. So when Christianity is a cause, it always finds a way to destroy itself. We talked about this last week. When Christianity is a cause, it's nothing more than a cause, it always finds a way to divide itself and destroy itself. A uh, kingdom divided against itself, Jesus says, it cannot stand, right? But when Christianity is Jesus, it always finds a way to make Jesus greater than the causes that are valid causes. Somebody say amen. You don't have to, but you've already raised your hand on social media, so I'm telling you, you're busted already, all right? So what is Christianity? Here, here's a, here's a, a brief, it's, I'm sorry, what is the ocean? Well, it's water. It, it is, but there's a lot more to it than that. So what is Christianity? Christianity is a personal 
and corporate relationship with Jesus. It's personal and it's corporate with Jesus. Christianity, at its core, at, at a very basic level, is a personal, it's not private, but it is personal, it's a personal relationship with my Savior and those whom he has saved, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says, and he is the head, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So it's personal, it's Jesus, but it's corporate, it's all believers in the body of Christ. It's personal, Jesus is the head, but the church is the body of Christ. So Christianity is a covenant, everybody say covenant. We make this covenant with God. Jesus, would you save me? Jesus, I believe that, that you are, your blood is sufficient. Hey, Don, welcome back from Arizona. Your blood is sufficient to save me from, um, from all of my sins. What you did for me on the cross and through defeating death, hell, and the grave through the resurrection is greater than what I did when I transgressed the laws and the moralities of, of the Holy One of Israel right? So what you did is greater than what I did. When we come to that, there, there's that covenant. But understand this, the covenant's not done. A covenant with God without a covenant with God's people is incomplete and insufficient, I would say. We're supposed to be a church. We're supposed to be a body. That which unites us is Jesus is calling, saying, come here. So let me, let me help you what I understand what I mean maybe a little bit better. When I met Dina, everybody goes, oh, here we go. He wants to touch her again. Yes, I love my wife. When I met Dina, I had met other girls. Dina was not a girl. Dina was the girl. When she walked through the door, she was a promise from God. There was, there was a peanut butter sandwich desperately believing that jelly was out there somewhere. There, there, there was a corn dog without hot oil. It was just a raw, doughy... You know, there was a... There, there was a uh, you know, one person playing badminton and then walking over and playing. playing. I, I needed, and I recognized my need, as a God-given need, that there was something out there that was not like me, that was made for me, that would be the most satisfying relationship on earth that I would ever know. And it was Dina. She walks through the door. I didn't go, hey, there's a girl. <laughs> I'd seen girls before. i dated girls before. I was engaged four times before I met Dina. Don't judge me. <laughs> and when I met her, I was like, dude, that's a girl, but that's not a girl. That's the girl. She was a promise from God. And, and I, I desired then in 32 years of marriage later to not give her 50-50. I'll give you my half, give me your half, and we'll be whole. It was more than that. I'll give you 100% whether you give me anything back or not. And she said the same to me. And trust me, there are seasons. We've been married. How many of you guys are newlyweds? Been married less than five years? Aren't you sweet? That's wonderful. How many of you guys have been married long enough to know what I'm about to say? And, and that is there are seasons to marriage. There are midlife crises. There are... No, I can't even use one of her examples, can I? I shouldn't. But there are inconsistencies in our mood, in our relationship, in our hormones, in our, in our stages of life, and having babies, and, and don't touch me, and, and, uh, you know, and then more babies, and then, there's, and then they grow up, and then there's empty nests, and there's financial issues, and there's starting ministries, and there's you know, 60 to 80 hours a week and 50 to 70 hours a week of life that's, that's put into this place and these people, and then back to the kids, and now we got grandkids, and now it's, how many guys understand, life isn't this, life is like, right? Life is this. Does this make sense? This is life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. What, what kind of life? Yeah, B.C., A.D., the ads, A.D., right? And, and there's been this growing affection for over 33 years, 32 years of marriage, but this growing affection. When I wake up in the morning, I love Jesus, I love my wife, we love our sons, we love our grandbabies, and we love you. And if we're to reduce life to what life really is, our life, 
it's interesting that the word love precedes every action. Does that make sense? I, I don't, we don't do this for you because we, we think it's an easier way to do life. We do this because God has given us a love for this community, the people in it, the people in this church. And so I love my wife. I love God. I love kids, etc. Peanut butter, jelly, peanut butter, jelly, right? So did you get that? Put a pin in that. Now let's talk about Jesus because there's a lot of similarities between a groom and a bride and a family. There isn't you and Jesus and the church. When I met Jesus, he wasn't just like another way to live. He was the way. He wasn't just something that was kind of true. He was the truth. It wasn't a life that I'd hoped for that one of these days, if I just think enough positive thoughts and I just rub enough, you know, rabbit's feet and find four-leaf clovers, it, he was the life that I was created to live was in Jesus. So when I found him, like when I met, Gina, when I met Dina, I'd had this, like I'd met girls before, but she wasn't a girl, she was the girl. I'd, I'd had thoughts from atheism to agnosticism to stoicism to other philosophical things and political views. When I met Jesus, Jesus became the love of my life. When I met Dina, Dina became the love of my life. Does that make sense? Are you getting this? So, and with that as well, there's this growing affection. It, it isn't like I feel these warm fuzzies. Every time somebody says the name of Jesus, I just begin to weep. There were seasons in my life where that was true. Everybody talk about God and salvation. Man, I would just lose it. But, but I'm telling you, and it's not that I don't have any movement or any feeling anymore. It's just that it's matured. Like marriage matures. Does this make sense? I am more committed to my wife now with less feelings. I'm not saying I don't have feelings. I'm saying the euphoric first kiss was like, you know, three and a half decades ago. Do I remember it? Yes. I could take you to the sidewalk, the square on the sidewalk where I kissed that girl for the first time. And she didn't know it, but I said, God, I'll never kiss another girl until you tell me that she's my wife. I wasn't kissing her. I was proposing to her. Now, she didn't know that because she just said no. But later on, about a week later, I did propose. And she said no. <laughs> now, she said, let me pray about it. And I'm like, well, I already prayed. So, right? So get this. I, I didn't start seeing Dina as a counselor. I fell in love with her and had a relationship. I didn't quit smoking. I didn't start going to church. I didn't start having new friends. I didn't start tithing. I met Jesus. I, I didn't stop dating other girls. I didn't stop, you know, uh, my money is my money, not your money. It, it wasn't a change of behavior. It was a change of heart. Because something that was greater, someone who was greater than what I'd ever known and, and maybe had hoped existed because you see it in the movies or you see it in church or you see it in people's lives. And one of these days, if I ever find a woman like that, I'm going to love her for the rest of my life. If I ever get a connection with God that way, I'm going to love him for the rest of my life. There was a covenant that was made. Does this make sense? So today I want to take a look at what happens in our lives, what's next, what are we supposed to do now that we've met Jesus? If you've met him, if you haven't, we've got a, a portion of the services for you. But hear me. You're like, I, I, I'm walking into this, this relationship. I, I love him. I just don't know him yet. <laughs> like a part of me knows him, but I don't, I, there's a lot of other things I want to know. I want to grow in this. So what do we do? Let's go back to the day of Pentecost. And I want to point out one thing to you that's going to be the point of the whole teaching. How many guys love it? When I have like seven points and other times my sermons are almost pointless, right? Today, almost pointless. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. He just told them that Jesus is the Messiah, and you killed him, and they're having a bad day, right? God made this Jesus whom you crucified. Who's getting the blame for this? It ain't the devil. <laughs> it's, it's not Flip Wilson, man. I mean, he is saying to you, you are the reason the Son of God was crucified in this city the other day. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, oh, crap, right? And to Peter and the other apostles, they said, brothers, 
Oh, now they're brothers. Oh, brothers. Like, yeah, now they're brothers. What shall we do? Peter replied, repent and do what? Say it again. Repent and do what? Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. It's for your kids. It's for those who are far off. It's for as many as the Lord of God shall call. So the gift of repentance, the gift of water baptism, the gift of baptism in the Spirit, this is for you. So what happened? Verse 41, those who accepted his message were what? And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Move forward to Acts chapter 8, which are the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Church, the early church days are recorded in the book of Acts. And this is what happens with Philip the Evangelist, chapter 8. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the gospel, the good news about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were what? Interesting. Both men and women, Simon himself was a sorcerer in this town and uh, was kind of known to be a powerful dude. He believed as well, and he was baptized as well. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Fast forward a few more verses. Philip's out on the road, sees this guy in a caravan reading the scroll uh, of Isaiah. He walks up and says, what you reading? And this Ethiopian eunuch who was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia says, I'm reading this book. I don't understand it. So he jumps in the, in the wagon and starts talking to him. Then Philip began in that very passage of Scripture and told them the good news. Here's the gospel again, the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, now he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know the scroll, but what he says, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Everybody, ho, and they stop. They go down, Philip and the eunuch go down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's happening again, right? Look at Acts chapter 9. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, who we know is the Apostle Paul. This is the day that he's converted, if you will, to Christ. He, was, um, he, had, a, he had a bad day, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. He's persecuting Jesus. He gets knocked on his butt, a proud man on his butt. He's blind. He needs help. And he hears this voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asks the obvious question, who's calling, please? Because I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. How many of you guys know there's lots of oak cred moments in life? But a few are scarier than the day of Pentecost in this. Like, I, I, I'm going to go kill all those Christians, put them all in prison. Now, who's calling, please? Jesus. Like, oh, I'm on the wrong side of this, and I'm in huge trouble, right? So he gets saved. He gives his life to Jesus. And look, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and what happened? He was baptized. Peter is being called to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. Understand that up until this time in the book of Acts and all throughout Christianity, which is several weeks old at this point, <laughs> several months old, it's not, it's not a long history, every believer has been Jewish. Nobody is outside of the Jewish. As a matter of fact, Christianity was, was the outspring of a, a Jewish people waiting for a Messiah who would come and forgive sins, right? So here's the Gentiles. Look what happens. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Why? Because as Peter preached the gospel to the house of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave ed, uh, uh, the ability to do so, just as it did on the day of Pentecost. So Peter goes, I can't stop them from being baptized in water. They've been baptized in the Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I would too. Philippian jailer, he then brought them out. Paul and Silas have been delivered from prison. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's Paul's answer. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. How did they express that? They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were... Paul's missionary journeys, Crispus, the sinner. I love that name. If I ever get a hamster, 
I'm going to name him Crispus. Matter of fact, let's do this. If we get two hamsters, it'll be cheese and Crispus. The synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were... You guys getting this? Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized, right? Acts 22, Paul telling his testimony. And now, what are you waiting for? Ananias said to Paul on that house on Straight Street in Damascus, he said, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. How many of you guys see a pattern here? How many of you guys saw it like 14 scriptures ago and you're waiting for me to get to the, okay, I get that. But I want to point it out to you. This isn't like some sort of, they were baptized on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that cute? Or they were baptized when they reached a certain age. Or they were, no. When people realize who Jesus is and their mind changes, called repentance, they see clearly now something than what they saw. Somehow, they just seem to know without a lot of teaching and a lot of prompting, what I need to do now is I need to be baptized. I need to be taken to water. I need to be immersed in that water. My life, my death, and my resurrection. My, my old life buried, you know, and then a new life birthed, right? So in the next few weeks, we're kind of looking for the right time, to be honest with you. That has to do with weather. That has to do with a couple other things. But we're going to set up these glorious, beautiful uh, baptismal tanks out on the patio. They were at TSC as feed troughs, but now they've been saved. They've been, they've been redeemed. They're, they're no longer feed troughs. They're holy baptismals filled with holy water until we get into them, right? So what's baptism all about? Let's talk about baptism because I think sometimes baptism is either a mystery or it's a tradition, and it's neither. Matter of fact, if I were the devil and I wanted to keep God's people from growing, from expanding that affection, from, from going from the first kiss to the long walk to the will you marry me to a life together. I would, I would try to interrupt progress at the point of baptism. I would try to keep it inside. I would try to keep it private. I would try to keep it personal. I would try to keep it from, from being corporate. I would, I, I, if I were the devil trying to keep people from growing in Christ, I would keep them out of a feed trough. Why? Because something happens when we're baptized that doesn't happen when we're not. You ready for this? What is baptism all about? I got seven minutes. How many of you guys give me seven more minutes? Seven, 14, 21. Good. Here we go. All right. It's an outward physical expression that consummates an inward miracle. Um, much like on the wedding day that I won't talk much about because it's embarrassing to everyone. And I will just simply say this, that on the wedding day, a bride and a groom exchange gifts. They exchange words. They have the blessing of the presence of those who love them. And, and that is a very public, wonderful thing. But we all recognize that that act of covenant is consummated in a physical act of covenant sometimes shortly after the wedding, sometimes minutes after the wedding, but nonetheless consummated, right? So it's an outward physical act. So while we were married, we'd just never been intimate. Like, well, what? Yeah, we, we had vows, but we, we've never been intimate physically together. I'd say, listen, as a couple, I, I would say to you guys, um, you should figure that one out. I'm not even going to look at the person that just said, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to simply point out. <laughs> I'm just going to simply point out that we were like, hey, that's not, that's not natural. You're, you're missing out on a blessing that's like post I do. After you say I do, you can. Never mind. I'm just saying. An expression of growing affection just like the first kiss, just like the wedding. If I was trying to prevent a marriage from growing, I'd say, well, you know what? You can get married, but just don't, don't reproduce nothing. You, you, you know, Ricky, Lucy. Two twin beds, right? Uh, secondly, it's incredibly powerful. New Testament writers 
are trying to find ways to explain to a mostly Jewish audience how powerful baptism is. So they reach back to certain stories, you know, like Noah's Ark. Remember that time the whole world got destroyed except for eight people? That's like baptism. You go, what? Look at this, 2 Peter. This is what Pete says. And only uh, in it, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water, it symbolizes baptism that now saves you. He's saying this. Remember that time where everything was evil in the whole world. And then God said, I'm going to cleanse the world with, with a deluge of water. And that which I want to survive will survive, and everything else will be destroyed. Let me say this. If you've not been baptized in water and you're still struggling with habits and behaviors and addictions, and I, I'm not saying this is why. I'm simply saying this. If, if I were not, no, I can't say that one because my wife will kill me and it will embarrass you. Um, there are certain behaviors that come out of an intimate relationship that, that are helpful to breaking bondage in other areas. Did that make sense to you? Okay. We'll just leave it alone. Okay. Know this. What Paul, I'm sorry, what Peter's saying here is simply this. That which goes into the water is destroyed by the water. And only that which is supposed to live comes out of the water. I, I'm, this is silly, but I, I think sometimes what goes into that tank is like, be careful when you dispose of that water. I know it's dumb. I just drain it down the lowest sewer we got because I, people go in there saying, I've been dealing with this. I've given my life to Jesus and I'm expecting something powerful to happen. My life, now my death, all that stays in the water and my resurrection. I've come out on the other side. Look at this, Israel and Egypt, same thing, right? 400 years in bondage. And it says that it's like baptism. First Corinthians, Paul says this. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, what's he talking about? Have you guys ever seen the Cecil B. DeMille films, the, the Ten Commandments? They have been slaves for 400 years. God hardens Pharaoh's heart multiple times. Plagues of blood, plagues of locusts, firstborn. He says, go away. All Israel plunders Egypt and they walk out. Well, they, they go into an undefensible undefendable position. They've got a sea at their back. They've got sand to hide behind, and that's it. And here comes all of Pharaoh's armies, all of his might, that which he has used for, for generations to keep under his thumb of oppression, to keep enslaved God's people. Well, they're free now. God set them free. But he says, I, I don't want to lose my workforce. So he comes after them, and now God holds them at bay. The seas open up, right? Because you know, Charlton Heston raised that staff, right? And both ways it goes, from my cold, dead hands, right? And it separates. I might be mixing a couple stories, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Israel goes down into the water. He says they're being baptized, and they come up on the other side. And what happens? All that oppressed them, all the power of the enemy, all that vicious, ferocious, you know, agonizing, thumb-holding down control goes in the water after them. But they don't come out of the water because God drowns it in the water. They're not trying to say this is a tradition and you should obey it because your grandma wants you to. What they're talking about is a transformational experience in the waters of baptism. John's baptism says this. This is John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 28. This all happened in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. What is that? Is that important? On the east side of the Jordan River is the wilderness. On the west side of the Jordan River is the promised land. John lined them up in the wilderness, walked them through living water. Water was flowing from a living sea, Galilee, down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. They walked with the dirt of the wilderness into the clear, pure, living, moving waters of the Jordan River, and what was on them washed down to a sea that has nothing that ever comes out of it again, and they walked into the promised land. It's the same thing. How many of you guys know when, when the Bible describes baptism, it's not a tradition? When the Bible describes baptism, he's talking about something really powerful, really important, right? All the dirt of the past washed away. It buries your past. 
and it births your future. Piano girl, join me if you would. I've got 45 seconds left. How many of you guys believe in miracles? Well, I, I would give up on this one then. John 3.3, 3, Jesus says this. You've got to be born again. I, I know that born again has almost its own stigma. This is what it means. You had a life. You were born of the flesh, and flesh happened, and flesh happened, and flesh happened. But then you were born of the Spirit, and Spirit happened, and Spirit happened, and Spirit happened, and Spirit happened. Does that make sense? I was single. I met Dina. Married. Something before is something kind of like, but nothing like something after. I, I still eat. I did before I was a believer. But once I believed, I wasn't just living by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I, I was in love with a lot of different things, and I realized a lot of those different things, whether it's the bottom of a bottle or my own voice or ego and all that stuff. When I, when, I, when I met Jesus, what I was looking for and all those other things, Jesus satisfied, and I didn't need those things anymore. I didn't know about water baptism. No one really explained it to me. Matter of fact, I had baptized people who I led to Christ before I was ever baptized. They said, I want to be baptized. I'm like, cool, I'll go baptize you. Freezing cold, 40 degrees. I dunk Pat Quinlan <laughs> into the, this lake, you know. He comes up, and he's happy. I'm shivering, you know what I mean? And he just wanted to be, because I need to be baptized. He, the night he gave his life to Jesus, he woke me up. We're at a camp. He woke me up and said, I need to be baptized. I'm like, well, then go throw yourself in the lake. He goes, no, I need you to baptize me. I'm like, I don't think you need, I don't even know what it, like, okay. How many of you know there's certain friends that once they wake you up, you know you're not going back to sleep again until you know, you give them what they want. So down to the lake we go. And thank God there's a dock. Because I walked out on the dock, and it got deeper and deeper. Dock didn't. And I just said, here you go. And I put him down. He came up and gave me a big hug like, you idiot. He was like 400 pounds. He hugged me. How many of you guys know the difference between going in the lake and getting a hug from Pat was about the same. There wasn't much of a difference. He just, you know. I'm just telling you this. I remember the moment I realized what I've taught today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I realize, Romans 8, that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There's, there's that moment where it delineates my, my AD, my BC, and all of a sudden everything's changed. That moment is water baptism. So here's two questions for you before we go. Ready? Number one is this. Have you repented? And I don't mean, are you sorry for your sins? I, I, I don't think that's a bad standard, but I don't mean that. I, I repent on a regular basis from things that I realize are inferior. When I realize something's better than what I've believed, I repent of the inferior and I accept the superior. Does that make sense? So repent's like, oh, I need to cry. I need to tear my clothes. I need sackcloth and ashes. I mean, if that does it for you, wonderful. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel remorse or that remorse isn't a sign of repentance, but it isn't, it isn't like the only sign of repentance. You know, I gave my life to Jesus, but I didn't feel bad. Don't you have to feel bad to be a Christian? It's like, no. You need to know who he is. You need to know what he wants to do. Have you repented? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he wants to do? Not social causes, not political parties, not pull it all aside. Jesus, do you know who he is? Do you know what he wants to do? If so, repent and align with that. God's going to cause problems that this person will be hurt. That might change, but if I do that, I'm going to have to stop. Repent first, let him lead you second. Repent first. Let him lead you say, Moses didn't have a plan. He had a dream. Martin Luther King didn't have a plan. He had a dream. God spoke to him. He had no idea it was going to be fulfilled. He just knew what he was supposed to do now. Do you know what you're supposed to do now? If you haven't repented, repent. See it clearly. Make it better. Make it right. The second thing is this. Have you been baptized? Repent 
Let me baptize. I was baptized as a kid. That's awesome. Zero, zero, zero issues with, you know, a family's tradition baptizing children. But if you'll notice the one thing that's consistent through all those scriptures we read about baptism, the 97 scriptures, not one of them was a child. And not one of them had somebody else make the decision for them. And that's not to say that you weren't really baptized, your church was wrong. I'm not. I could give a flying furry rat's rear end, okay? Stop. What I was really saying is this. Isn't it interesting that every time they repent, they want to jump in water? Every time they repent, there's, there's something about that. There's something about that moment where my past is buried and my future is birthed. Where my history is history history and my destiny is now. You're here today and you're like, I need Jesus. Repent. You're here today and you haven't been baptized. Another week or so, we'll let you know when we're baptizing. I encourage you. Don't wear white. Because you may want to get to know Jesus that much, but we don't want to get to know you that much. But we're going to give you some notice. Like, come ready. Bring a towel. Invite your friends. We're not ashamed of this. We're going public. Dina and I met in secret because we didn't want the youth group to get involved in our relationship because she was, for all intents and purposes, the youth pastor of the girls of my youth group. And I was the youth pastor of the boys' youth group. They didn't even know we were dating. They didn't even know we liked each other in a romantic way. But when we made it official, I was so relieved to finally tell everybody, I'm in love with that girl. And it was wonderful. The same way. If your Christianity is personal, so be it. It's wonderful. But it was never supposed to be private. There's something about the accountability of saying, today I belong to Jesus that helps you tomorrow. So, Father, I thank you for my friends. I pray you bless them. What's next? Now what? What do we do? Where do we go next? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, into this powerful experience of following an almighty God who washes away our yesterdays and births all of our tomorrows. Thank you for moments in history that change all the other moments afterwards. The day we met changed everything. The day you brought Dean in my life changed everything. The day we had children changed everything. God, thank you for moments that change everything. I pray for open hearts and minds, not to demean anybody's history, anybody's tradition, anybody's anything, but simply to say, isn't it interesting that it was always someone who understood, someone who repented, someone who turned away from and turned towards and said, I need to be baptized. I thank you that we have a tradition of baptism, but I pray for so much more than the ongoing living of a tradition. I pray for a revelation of a brand new life. I pray that over all of my friends here now, online, radio stations all around the the country, people watching on the other side of the planet or in this room, in the name of Jesus, give us a revelation of the new life that awaits those who will walk in that path. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're like, Jim, I need to repent. I do. I, I see it clear now. I, I understand. It's not a cause. It's not a, it's not a movement. It's not a, it's Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want him to forgive me. I need him. I want Jesus to love me. I want to love him back. I want Jesus. More than anything else in my life, preeminent above all other things, I want Jesus. If that's you, if that's you today, And it's not true of your yesterday, but you want it to be true of your tomorrow. I want you to lift up your hand in this room right now. Come on. Right here and now, before God. My eyes aren't open, by the way. But if you're just, it's you and God raising that hand. God, right here, right now, nothing in my life is to be more important than you. Let's take a, a, a conversation. Let's take a walk. Let's jump in some water. Anything that brings me closer to you, I will do. Because you're better than everything I've ever known. I love you. 
It's time for me to open up that alabaster jar of my life and pour it on your feet and leave this place smelling like you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You guys good? So next service, not so many scriptures, you think? You're kind of like, oh, gee. Baptism. Baptism. I get it. Stand to your feet. God bless you. I went one minute over the six minutes that I took extra. And we are going to escort you safely from the room. They're opening the doors, I believe. Open, open the doors. Yeah, anyway, I just want to make sure. Good. And they're going to dismiss you row by row. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Enjoy a nice sunny day. Hey, three inches of snow on Tuesday night. Did you hear? Literally three to six inches of snow on Tuesday night. I love, I love Michigan. Just because the lions.